Hello and welcome to NFL First and Gold, the podcast. I'm Brian Weber alongside Eric Allen, the former NFL cornerback. On today's podcast, we'll focus on the key matchups across the league, spotlighting the game between the Dolphins and the Patriots with Andy Hart of Patriots.com Radio. But let's kick off the podcast with our NFL insider. Now, it's time for NFL Network reporter Ian Rappaport. It's the Rap Sheet on the NFL on TuneIn. Be sure to check out Ian Podcast. It is outstanding every week. Rap Sheet and friends here on TuneIn. So, Ian, we see that play or a variation of it just about every week as Eric and I do the program. Invariably, there's a flag on the play. What was going through your mind as you watched the play and how important could it be for seeding moving forward in the AFC? Well, I think it could be important for seeding for the Patriots, yes. And obviously, look, they've had a history of struggling in Miami, so I can't say I'm completely stunned by the result. Um, But to me, there's two important things here. One, I know everyone thinks the Dolphins are kind of down and people talk about what's going to happen after the season. They are still very much alive. Uh, They are basically a 500 team with the chance to be more. and, And with this win, this improbable win, they basically announced to all of us that we need to at least focus on whether or not they win or lose each week, and they looked like a well-coached team there. I think that's one thing. The other thing, I hate to say it, but in New England, the Rob Gronkowski storyline of his health, where he is physically, and sort of how much he has left is unfortunately an issue, and Gronk has been a great player. He's just not moving like he did, and to watch him you know, really struggle to catch a number of Dolphins players on that last play, um, I would say it was troubling for New England. And, and of all the storylines that are come out, going to come out from that, um, that's going to be a big one. Yeah, I, I can see that. Uh, it seemed like uh, Tom was kind of featuring him in the middle of the football game and had a touchdown, had some great catches. But personnel-wise, why would you have him at the end of the game? Or Is there going to be any consequences for having him in that position outside of the losses, is anyone ever going to, you know, ask Coach Belichick, why would you have Gronkowski in the game playing free safety? Well, there is a reason, and that's because Gronk is basically their safety, their batted down guy on Hail Marys, which makes a lot of sense. I mean, he's, you know, six foot six with a huge wingspan. He's got several pass breakups. It makes a lot of sense that he's there as the guy to knock it down. The problem is, is Ryan Tannehill could not reach the end zone from where he was. And so it's a rare case where, situationally, the Patriots were not in the right look. I mean, they were in the right look a lot of times, but this one particular time, they were not because there's no way a Hail Mary is actually going to work. So, you know, basically what the the Dolphins did was they kind of went to the alternate. And, you know, I can't remember too many places where Bill Belichick and his team botched it in-game, late-game, but unfortunately, this was one of them. And you see that play, and you're waiting for the flag. You're waiting for the flag. It never came. Miami stunning New England. We're taking you across the league with our NFL insider, Ian Rappaport of NFL Network. Be sure to download the podcast. Rap Sheet of Friends, every every week here on TuneIn. Ian, as we think about what happened last night in New York City, Kyler Murray winning the Heisman Trophy, and he said he'd like to try to play baseball and football, but you talked to his agent, Scott Boris, who said that's not going to happen. What are the details? Yeah, it was an interesting conversation. Talked for about a half hour earlier this week before Kyler Murray won the Heisman, and you know, just trying to get ahead and figure out, all right, where, you know, where in the draft is this guy going to be? 
so I talked to a number of scouts and I talked to Scott Boris and you know Boris made it very clear uh, that I had nothing to worry about with football. He told me there's no decision that's going to be made. The decision has already been made. The determination contractually is made. He is going to play baseball. He will be at the A's spring training in February. And the deal was when he signed the A's contract, he played one season of football and that's it. Now I did talk to a couple of scouts. They thought he would be, you know, second rounder, maybe third rounder. And what I didn't quite realize, uh, maybe I should have, but I just didn't. He is incredibly short. I mean, he is five foot nine, maybe. There's just not a lot of precedent in the NFL. I know he's a sick athlete, but there's just not a lot of precedent in the NFL for a quarterback that short. Hard for me to imagine someone using a premium draft pick on him. Yeah, I agree with that. Speaking about Heisman Trophy winners, Baker Mayfield, uh, again, his team beats the Carolina Panthers. Uh, who who else on that offense for Carolina outside of McCaffrey? He led the team in rushing and receiving <laughs> him and Cam Newton. When is someone else going to step up and emerge offensively? And is their defense getting kind of old? Yeah, and, and I think, you know, that's they do have some very recognizable faces on defense. Julius Peppers, Thomas Davis. Um, it is a young man's game. And, you know, what the Panthers have done uh, for you know, sometimes for better, but other times for worse, is they kept around a lot of the old dudes who are great in the locker room. Guys like Peppers and uh, guys like Greg Olson, guys like Thomas Davis. Uh, unfortunately, sometimes speed-wise, those guys get exposed. And, and I think, you know, what we've seen is, is that very much be the case. I mean, not that, you know, the, Pan- the, the Panthers are a decent kicker away from being 2-3 and three instead of 0-5 oh over the last five. Uh, so... But still, this is the reality, and I think when you start to look at what changes will be made to the Panthers after the season, I'd still be surprised if it's a coaching change. Very surprised, but I do think they're going to be there's going to be a youth movement on that roster. They need to get faster, and they need to get younger. Chatting with our NFL insider Ian Rappaport of NFL Network. Ian, you reported the Jags will be moving on from Blake Bortles. How about their head coach? What do you think the future could look like for Doug Marone? Yeah, and I know that that's certainly been a cause of some speculation. I would be surprised based on what I know of Doug Marone is not the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars next year. And look, I mean, obviously their season has been bad. I mean, there's just, it's bad. Everything is bad. Uh, they got some trouble in the locker room. They've had some, you know, some angst certainly in there. Bortles has played bad. They've also had an incredible, incredible amount of injuries. Basically, their entire offense, you know, absent Bortles, who ends up getting benched, and absent Leonard Fournette, who did play recently, is out because of injury, and Fournette's missed like 10 games. This team is a shell of itself, but they are the same team, exactly the same team um, that went to the AFC title game last year. And, you know, they all got extensions. General Manager Dave Caldwell, Doug Marone, Coughlin, everyone got extensions. So hard for me to imagine ownership believed so much in them eight months ago and doesn't believe in them at all now. Last one for me, Ian. Quarterback situation uh, in Baltimore. Uh, today, Lamar Jackson loses his first game. What's the future like for the quarterback position and the head coach? Well, uh, let's start with the quarterback position. I mean, I would imagine that look, Lamar Jackson came off the bench, led the team to a string of nice wins, played really well today. You know, a couple, uh, a couple defensive lapses away from another victory. He looks and feels like the starter. Uh, he really does. You know, we'll see what the official announcement is. Flacco is going to be healthy next week. He's going to be ready to play next week. Um, 
you know, I, I would say this. I would be very surprised if Joe Flacco's a starting quarterback. You know, and as far as John Harbaugh, now he was on the hot seat a couple years ago, or a couple years ago, a couple games ago, feels like a couple years ago. Um, he's going to go a long way in determining his future. I don't know if he's done enough to stay, but at the very least, he's done enough to to give the ownership a look at look. This is a team that you know we can really we can really win with, and the core is actually pretty young. And as always, we appreciate the insights. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. We'll chat with you next week here on the NFL on TuneIn. Look forward to it. Thanks, guys. Now let's acknowledge individual achievement with the start of the fantasy football playoffs. Let's huddle up for the NFL first and goal fantasy fix. For that, we're pleased to be joined by Jeff Erickson from rotowire.com. Jeff, let's go back to the early games. Who were the fantasy heroes? couple guys really stand out. You got Saquon Barkley going against the Redskins. Got that big run early and, you know, really took care of us. There's a lot of running backs, actually, right away, too. Uh, Christian McCaffrey had two, had a third callback. That ended up being a pretty big fancy play. Wide receiver-wise, T.Y. Hilton had a monster day against the Texans. Didn't get in the end zone, but 199 yards receiving. Uh, really huge day if you had him going. And then let's jump from the positive to the negative. Who were the biggest disappointments? For me, it was Chris Godwin. I expected big things with Deshaun Jackson out. He had 10 targets, but only one catch for 13 yards. And, in fact, that Tampa Bay uh, passing offense going against the 31st-ranked Saints pass defense, really big disappointment. I guess the rain might have a small part to do with it, but I think it's just the the Saints defense rising up and Winston really disappointing in that game. In reality, everybody's talking about the miraculous finish in Miami, the Dolphins stunning the Patriots with a series of laterals. But from the fantasy point of view, I know Tom Brady has had uneven performances in recent weeks based on throwing for 358 passing yards and three touchdowns today. Does he got to be in your lineup moving forward for the rest of the playoffs? Sure. I had him six going into this week, and it was a tough week for ranking quarterbacks. Uh, but he had a decent game against the, the Dolphins previously, too. So he kind of figured he might bounce back. Yeah, a healthy Gronk, and that really showed today. I, it's you know Gronk's going to be remembered for that sad tackle attempt that you, know, you and I would look like if we were trying to make a tackle on that play at the end. But the fact is he had a good day, 8 for 107 and a touchdown. With the fantasy playoffs heating up, we're spotlighting fantasy football with Jeff Erickson from rotowire.com. Jeff, let's turn our attention to Sunday night football, Rams and Bears. What's the fantasy forecast for Mitchell Trubisky coming back from the shoulder injury that has forced him to miss the last two games? You know, I'm a little wary just because you're going up against a great pass rush, uh, and that that's always got to be the thing you you'd be concerned about, especially uh, in your first game back. One hit, uh, all of a sudden, that could be a real problem. So I have him as a pretty modest ranking this week, and like around 20 or so in my rankings. Uh, Jerry Goff is also similarly. It's not a great matchup for him too. Obviously at Chicago in prime time on the road, but I, I think he'll be a guy that you still could get away with starting. It's just not a guy that's like uh, your your top five to seven choice or anything like he usually is even i know todd Gurley is a must start every week but what's the projection numerically against a very solid chicago defense you know i'm looking for about 85 to 90 yards uh and touchdown Uh, i I think that you know he'll get his from in short uh i don't think this will be the monster game but you're never not starting him let's shift our attention to monday night how much you buying dalvin cook of minnesota against the seahawks 
think uh, not a ton because I think the game flow is going to work against him a little bit. I, I don't know if he get necessarily gets a lot of carries because I think they'll be trailing in this game. I'm a little bit worried about that Viking offensive line that's really had a hard time protecting Cousins and allowing for the big plays on that team, both in the running game and in the passing game. Uh, meanwhile, on the Seattle side of things, Doug Baldwin's groin injury is something we're going to watch. You probably don't want to start him. You want to at least have an alternative to pivot to if you're waiting for that Monday night game. And how about Seattle's rushing approach? They have emerged as one of the best teams in all of football on the ground, but since we're only talking about individual performances, who do you trust on that offense? Well, Chris Carson uh, had a dislocated uh, finger, but he said he was fine after the game, and he practiced all week. Meanwhile, teammate Rashad Penny is listed as questionable this week. So I trust Carson a lot more than anybody else in that rushing offense for Seattle. Jeff, we appreciate the information. Good luck as the fantasy playoffs continue. Thanks, Brian. We continue on NFL First and Goal, the podcast. Now let's break down the game between the Falcons and Packers with A.J. Hawk, the former NFL linebacker who played for both teams. The Packers beat the Falcons 34-20. Let's talk about it with a Super Bowl champion, A.J. Hawk, former standout linebacker for the Packers, Bengals, and Falcons. A.J., we appreciate you taking the time. You won the Super Bowl with Mike McCarthy. What was your action last Sunday when you heard about the coaching change? Uh, I mean, I think like a lot of people, I was a little bit surprised at the timing, no question. Uh, I think a lot of people felt like this may be coming for him if uh, if they don't make the playoffs this season. So I, I never thought it would happen during the season. But, I, I mean, I, honestly, I think when you step back and look at it, maybe it's it's better for all sides. If the Packers were going to move on without him after the season, and now maybe McCarthy gets a, you know, it's like he's a free agent hitting the market early. If he wants to coach next year, he, he gets a jump start, and he can start talking to some teams and really putting the feelers out there. Hey, AJ, I mean, good, great talking to you. Is the locker room mature enough to handle uh, kind of what's going on? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's definitely a different locker room. I was back there about a month ago uh, and talked to some of the guys that are, are left from when I was there in my time. And, yeah, it's definitely different. I mean, locker rooms go through those changes where it's like big, not massive overhauls, but as guys just mature and move on, whether they go to other teams or retire, whatever it may be, and some younger younger group comes in. And you can tell the locker room is very tight. They, they all get along very well. And as long as you have number 12 at quarterback, you can pretty much get through anything. That's what I've always, uh, I've always felt like. A.J. Hawk is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Check out his HawkCast podcast. It is outstanding. So, A.J., you're a member of the media now. You know how it works. It's the age of the hot take. There is a narrative out there that Aaron Rodgers might be difficult to coach. Do you think he'd be receptive to an intense head coach coming in who might want to challenge him? Yeah, I think he'd be receptive to any kind of head coach that, that wants to come in there. If the coach comes in and and shows that, that he loves football, he loves whether he's an offensive or defensive play caller, I don't think it really matters. I think uh, Aaron respects guys, and, and I think the whole McCarthy-Aaron relationship is overblown a bit. I really do. I think they're both competitive guys that are, aren't scared and don't sweep things under the rug. So, yeah, they're going to have a little bit of conflict. And McCarthy always told us, when I was there, conflict is good. If you have an issue, come to me. Tell me. I don't want to sweep it under the rug and, and have it come up at a later time. So I think uh, that may be a little overblown. But I think whoever they bring in there, Aaron's going to be fine with it. Uh, two aspects of, of the team that uh, today uh, played pretty well. Aaron Jones, uh, 4.6 yards of carry, 78 yards. And then defensively, uh, they've been kind of up and down uh, the past couple of years. Where, do you, where are they going to kind of fit into the next year or so as this roster may change a little bit? Defensively, kind of, is it, are it blitzing, zone? What do they do the best? 
Well, I mean, I guess it, it kind of depends on what Mike Pettin's future is. He, this is his first year as the D coordinator there, and I think he's done a good job. I really do. Now, whether Joe Philbin gets a chance to, to be the, the full-time head coach or they bring another guy in, it's I guess we will see if they keep Mike Pettin or not. But I think when any great defense, I mean, you know, like when you can get four-man pressure, you can do a lot. And they haven't really been able to get a whole lot of four-man pressure, I think, consistently these last couple of seasons. But one thing, they need to stay healthy in the back end. They've had a lot of issues in the secondary when it comes to injury. When they have a lot of those young draft picks, when they stay healthy and get a little bit more experience under the belt, uh, they're going to be really, really good, I think. But I think if they don't even need to worry about being a, a huge blitzing team, just be a – if you can get a four-man rush, yeah, every once in a while bring six, maybe bring seven a few times. But keep your secondary healthy. And a young guy like Kenny Clark up front in the middle is a great uh, defensive lineman that's really stepped up this year and had a big season. I think he's going to be good for a long time there, as well as Mike Daniels, who's been doing it for a while, and now he's hurt. But uh, I think their defense has played very well at times this year. It's just they haven't really put four quarters together, I guess, a whole lot uh, throughout the season. AJ, let's move around the league. Since you and my broadcast partner, Eric Allen, both shined on defense, how do you see this matchup on Sunday Night Football? You've got the Rams' high-powered offense going against the Bears' steely D. I don't know. What do you think? I guess it depends. So Trubisky's in the lineup, right? He's officially in? Yeah, he's coming back after the shoulder injury. Okay, yeah, but we could see some fireworks. So we will see. I don't know. Yeah, the Rams can be slowed down a little bit. I think if any defense could do it, the Chicago Bears defense with Khalil Mack and the rest of that crew, they can really stifle you. And we've seen what Khalil Mack has done. I mean, the first game of the season against the Packers, he single-handedly can take over a game. So I think he may be a little... uh, have a little extra juice in his step on Sunday night going against such a great offense. They want to, they probably want to make a statement. I think that that bears defense does. So I still think there's going to be plenty of points put up on the board. I, my whole question, I just wonder if, if Chicago can keep up. Yeah. Who would you take Aaron Donald or Khalil Mack? Ooh, if you had to kill us. Oh man. Can I get a hybrid? of both? <laughs> no, you got to <laughs> choose one, my man. Man, I, I, that's such a good question. It really is. Aaron Donald, I mean, did you see that picture going around of him with his shirt off? I'm like, how are you that big with a six-pack? Yeah. Like, this, you're not even a human. Like, you're so you're such a freak. And Khalil Mack equally as well. Honestly, oh, man. I love them both. I, I guess I'm going to take Khalil Mack I, I just because okay. I'm going to take a step. I'm not going to sit here and play right down the middle. I'll take Khalil Mack because I know those outside rushers, man. They're they're really hard to find. And when you got a, a guy like Khalil Mack, they don't come around very often. I just I think he does everything right on and off the field. That is interesting, and obviously both are phenomenal talents. AJ, last week Eric Allen told me that Aaron Donald should be the league MVP. That's right. <laughs> yeah, he should. I agree. He should be the MVP. So, I, and I may be contradicting myself a little bit saying that, but no, I, I think. Uh, I just I love those outside rushers. Maybe it's because they're considered outside linebackers sometimes in the three four, and I, I'm an inside linebacker, so maybe that's I have a little soft spot in my heart. But <laughs> I don't know, Cleo Mack, man. I don't since he was a Buffalo in college. I've yeah. been watching him and just admiring what he has done. Return of the Mac, AJ. We enjoy your broadcast work. Thanks so much for giving us a few minutes today on the NFL on TuneIn. Hey, no problem. Thank you, guys. This is NFL First and Goal, the podcast. Now let's focus on the matchup between the Patriots and the Dolphins with Andy Hart of Patriots.com Radio. Let's say hello to our good friend Andy Hart from Patriots.com Radio. Andy, I have a couple suggestions for what this play can be remembered as Miami Miracle, South Florida Stunner. How about the Gronk groan? Gronkowski unable to make the play. 
Yeah, to me, the story is Gronk. And uh, I like your creativity. And I can tell you for the next week, or at least the next few days, uh, all across Boston Sports Radio and the newspapers and the podcasts and blogs, that's going to be the discussion. Why is Rob Gronkowski um, on the field as your last line of defense in place of Devin McCourty, your Pro Bowl safety, your captain, the guy who, oh, I don't know, is the safety on your kickoff team, so he's used to open field type plays where you're the last guy between the ball carrier and the end zone. So I just think really, you know, Bill Belichick's career, we know it's a great one. He's one of the greatest of all times, but this is one of the great blunders uh, in terms of personnel or an in-game coaching decision that I think he's made. Uh, yeah, coming off of the Super Bowl when Malcolm Butler didn't play uh, defensively, kind of look, at, they're, they're always prepared. And that's not even a question that the preparedness of the football team but what's going on personnel-wise? Sometimes it just looks like they're not fast enough. Yeah, they certainly have questions about their overall team speed, and that has shown up um, at times offensively, at times defensively, their tackling ability. Um, that was one of the easier razzle-dazzle end-of-game plays you'll ever see. It's almost like each Dolphin that gets the ball is surprised with how much room he has to not only run but to then pitch it and they're almost surprised how quickly they are moving the ball down the field. And, you know, that's, that's alarming. You know, you J.C. Jackson, they had a young corner that was just sort of along for the ride. Just It was like he was, didn't really know what to do. And this is a Patriots team that prides themselves on putting guys in the right position, in place to succeed, not fail, and, you know, situational football at the end of the game. And they just failed miserably in situational football today. And I, I won't just put it on the last play of the game. The last play of the first half was very similar. They are in field goal range. Tom Brady forgets they don't have any timeouts, takes a sack to end the first half. I think those three points would have come in handy as the game unfolded. So uh, Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, uh, bad decisions, uh, brain cramps, whatever you want to call it, two of the greatest of all time, two of the smartest of all time, uh, really let their team down today, I thought. We're spotlighting New England with our good friend Andy Hart from Patriots.com Radio. Andy, what's the state of the Patriots' defense heading down the stretch? Uh, not very good. You know, well, certainly not very good on the road. I'll say that much. Uh, one of the trends this season is they've been terrible on the road. They're now 3-4 and four on the road. They lose this game on the final play. One of their wins, they stopped the Bears at the one-yard line on a Hail Mary attempt on the final play, or they could very easily be even worse in terms of their record and their road record. And the defense has failed on the road. And they couldn't stop the run today. They struggled in pass coverage. It all went to one player. Kenny Stills had all their catches. He's the only Dolphin who had more than a single reception, but it was enough for, win, for them to win this football game, and the running game, just massive holes. And a week ago, Dalvin Cook ran to the outside to a lot of success. Uh, this week, it was Frank Gore up the middle, Brandon Bolden, the former Patriot. He had one carry all year for 10 yards. He leaves this game with two more carries, two touchdowns, and 60 yards rushing. Um, total system breakdown, I thought, defensively. And, you know, it's unfortunate for them. They came off their best win of the season, most well-rounded win, I thought, to beat the Vikings last weekend and put themselves in position where you're saying if Kansas City stumbles, we're the number one seed. Well, now you've muddied the waters again by losing and playing really poorly defensively. Um, So they have a lot of questions to answer defensively. The one thing I would say, the pass rush was okay. Other than that, total system failure. Yeah, but you know what? You guys can get better with the Steelers, the Bills, and the Jets coming up on the season. I'm not sure if you know the Steelers are struggling a little bit right now uh, with the Oakland Raiders. 
on a go-forward basis. you got to get home field, right, uh, to be able to have an opportunity to get back into the big game. What are the changes you're going to see coming up in the offseason if this team doesn't reach its potential and gets to the AFC Championship or the Super Bowl? What kind of changes do you think you're going to be able to see? I think there's going to be big changes. And obviously there's a long ways to go, and you're right. There's three regular season games, and then however far they go in the postseason. Um, you know, they're not incapable of another Super Bowl run by any means the way they've played this year. Um, but I think there's going to be massive changes overall. And I think Rob Gronkowski is probably in his last season as a Patriot. I don't see him taking a huge pay cut to stick around, and he has a big $12 million cap figure for next year. But he's not the only one. It wouldn't stun me if both Devin and Jason McCourty are done after this season. wouldn't stun me if Dante Hightower, the Pro Bowl linebacker with a big cap figure, aging, limited production, is done after this season. Your left tackle, Trent Brown, is a one-year guy who's probably done after this season. So, you know, the wide receiver position, um, you're going to have some changes there. Gordon they'll probably bring back as a restricted free agent, but, um, you know, Julian Edelman's not getting any younger. He's under contract, but I don't know if he can continue to be your volume slot receiver moving forward. So I think there's going to be a lot of changes for this Patriots team after the season, but the reality is the season isn't over. You know, it feels like it after a loss like this where you have coaching problems and playing problems and, you know, you're losing ground or whatever in the AFC to the Chiefs. But, you know, you're just a couple wins away. You beat the Steelers on the road next week. You finish out the season, and then you get ready for another postseason run. I think things could look a lot brighter in the coming weeks. But uh, it's going to be an interesting offseason, no question about it. Andy, as always, we appreciate the information. Thanks for joining us again today on the NFL on TuneIn. My pleasure. Anytime, guys. As we continue on NFL First and Goal, the podcast, let's take you around the league with Therese Paler of Yahoo Sports. Now let's take you around the league with Therese Paler of Yahoo Sports. Therese, you've been covering football for a long time. Where would you slot what happened in Miami today amongst the greatest finishes in league history? I mean, it's right up there. How cool is that? Uh, you know, look, the, the the Patriots have been torturing the Dolphins for such a long time, right? And for the Dolphins to get, like, a win like that, um, it's crazy, man. Um, and, 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 look, that's a divisional matchup. The Patriots have been dominating that division for 10 years. Um, a really nice moment for those home fans, um, for a fan base that's seen a lot of heartbreak over the years. Yeah, what does it do uh, to the Patriots? Um, so many questions now. Gronkowski, Gronkowski in the game in the last uh, uh, playing safety. Uh, you know they target him. He did so well. Eight targets, eight catches. But what does that do to uh, to this Patriots football team? No, I mean I think they keep rolling. You know I, I think for a team that hasn't had the amount of playoff tests that they have, maybe it could like affect them. But you know the Patriots know like the key to winning both like in football and life, is to keep, you know, taking those hits and moving forward. Like you can't be like a Super Bowl champion and as a team not be able to kind of adopt that strategy in general. Um, obviously they have the head coach whose word pretty much is bond, you know, when he's speaking to players and, you know, as far as motivating and telling them how to be champions and how to win. So, you know, the Patriots are actually really well positioned to be able to handle a kind of devastating loss like that. Chatting with Therese Paler of Yahoo Sports. Therese, you used to work in Kansas City, covered the Chiefs. So what would you take away from their overtime win over Baltimore? And how do you view the Ravens quarterback situation moving forward? Um, I'll just the latter first. Um, I like Lamar Jackson for him. You know, he's got a ways to go as a pocket passer, but I do think he gives them more dynamism than Joe Flacco does. Um, you know, I, th- I think that, you know, he's the guy that should be going with the rest of the year. Uh, for 
the Chiefs, you know, this is a big win because I covered the Chiefs for five years before I took this national job at Yahoo. And, you know, honestly, <laughs> every year it seems like the Chiefs had a loss in December that really annoyed the fans, but it also portended, like, the way they'd lose in the playoffs. And this was one of those games, like Baltimore's got a good defense. They run the ball. Baltimore was running the football on the day. Um, the Chiefs defense, you know, they they were struggling. And, you know, you got a few turnovers here, turnovers there. That's how you lose. Like the game plan on how to beat the Chiefs was revealed today. But the difference was in the past where they would have lost that game, they didn't make enough plays in the past game. You know, I thought Mahomes was special. And he pulled some plays out of nowhere that only a few quarterbacks could ever do that really kind of energized his team and lifted them to victory. So, you know, I think the difference between the Chiefs of the past and Chiefs of now is number 15. That's interesting to say. So when you look at the numbers, 190 over 190 yards rushing by the Ravens, how is this Kansas City defense going to be able to win those games in the playoffs because we all know we got to run the football got to play great defense at some aspect what part of Kansas City's defense do you think is AFC championship ready I mean look the offense is I think you know you've got a quarterback that can 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 kind of win um make some plays on his own and that's pretty special and defensively like the Chiefs do do one thing well they do get after the quarterback they can sack you and that way they can create turnovers the run defense is a problem it's going to be a problem in January. You know, they're going to have to outscore teams. It's like a really good team is going to be able to run the football on them. And, you know, that's that's going to be the problem. You know, the good news for them is that the league is more offensive heavy now. And it's possible they can outscore teams. But, yeah, the defense needs, you know, ideally the run defense needs to tighten up. But, <laughs> you know, we're in December now, Eric. I mean, yeah, I don't know if that's necessarily possible. So, I think some teams have done it in the past, but it's not an easy thing to do. So, you know, from the Chiefs' perspective, yeah, they got to turn up the run defense because it's easy to see, like, them getting to January. All it takes is, like, one or two turnovers by the offense and the other teams running the football, and we can lose that game. Perez, we appreciate the information. Thanks so much for giving us a few minutes today on the NFL on TuneIn. Okay, have a good one, guys. Let's close out the podcast with the intersection of football and physics. It's time for the Playing with Science Checkdown, where science and sports collide. For that, we say hello to our good friends, Chuck Nice and Dr. Eric Goff. Fellas, the Giants pounded the Redskins. Saquon Barkley showed off his speed. Guys, take us through the play. There you go. It's exciting to say the least. Professor Eric Goff, why don't you break it down for us? Simple handoff, but what happened here? Well, Chuck, Barkley was the lone running back, and wide receiver Sterling Shepard was right behind the right side of the Giants' line. After Eli Manning handed the ball to Barkley, Shepard delivered a key block on Redskins' free safety D.J. Swearington. The Giants' blocking was perfect, and Barkley exploded through the hole at 14 miles per hour. Washington's strong safety, Haha Clinton Dix, was seven yards in front of Barkley at that point, but Clinton Dix chose the wrong pursuit angle. By the time Barkley crossed the Giants' 35-yard line, he was over 17 miles per hour, and Clinton Dix had to know he had made a mistake. Barkley crossed the Redskins' 45-yard line at his top speed of nearly 22 miles per hour. About five seconds later, he was hurtling into the end zone. As great as Barkley's run was, we can't forget about the team effort that provided him with daylight. As the running lane formed, there were eight Giants blocking eight Redskins. Those eight Giants brought 2,460 pounds of meat to the block party. The Redskins could only counter with 2,330 pounds. 
On average, each Giants blocker was a bowling ball heavier than the man he was blocking. All that tonnage was equivalent to two adult male black rhinoceroses crashing into each other. What do you think, Chuck? Ready to suit up for that block party? Yeah, that's not going to happen. The only suit I'm wearing comes in three pieces and has a bow tie. Sorry to disappoint, but what do you say? Saquon Barkley. I actually looked up his name, and it literally translates to see ya. So there you have it, Brian. Before we go, because you know I love etymology on a big word Sunday, doctor, is it rhinoceroses or rhinoceri? What's the plural there? Rhinoceroses. And now I know the rest of the story. We'll talk to you next week. That was the Playing With Science Checkdown. All free, only on TuneIn.